0: Today is part two of a two-part message uh, on worship. Message on worship. Tools for the journey. Kicked this message off a few weeks ago. The idea being that, that on this journey that Jesus has us on, even uh, referencing Romans chapter eight, that God says that he, he works all things together for the good who love him and according to his purpose, whom he is conforming to the image of his son, Jesus. That our purpose here on, on, on earth is, is that we would become more like Jesus and as we're conformed to his image, we start acting like Jesus, that we start living like Jesus, and that the world would be transformed and changed because of that. Amen? Well, that's a journey. None of us are there yet. None of us have attained it, even as Paul says, not that I've attained these things, but I press on. There's a journey that each one of us is on in being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And the great thing about our big God is that he gives us the tools we need for it to be a successful journey. You know, through the ages, through the, through the centuries, that, that there's been expeditions that have been launched to, to discover new places, right? To, to find new continents, to find new trade routes, uh, to, to go to the North Pole, to go to the South Pole, to climb mountains, expeditions that have been launched. Some have been successful and some have failed that in this journey that God has us on, that he's given us everything that we need to succeed. He's given us the tools we need to become like his son. You know that God, I'm so thankful that God is not playing games with us. And if you've grown up in a place or your walk with the Lord or, or even just your idea of faith and religion is that God's playing some kind of cat and mouse game with us, that, that is just bunk. It's garbage that he is for us, he is a God that has extended himself to us and he's come to us and he's given us everything we need for life and godliness, as the word says. He's given us everything we need. Everything means everything, nothing lacking. And so we're talking about these tools. We talked about prayer, we talked about meeting God in his word and now we're talking about worship. That, that these are some of the tools that he has given us to help us succeed and achieve success in that journey. I'm so thankful that he gives us these tools. I want to start this morning again reading some of the passages I did last week because I think it sets a frame for us or a lens for us before we keep just motoring through the points uh, that I had from last week. I want to start in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 23-34. 1 Chronicles chapter 16. We find here in this passage just to to set what, the scene of what's happening. This is David, the king, dancing before the ark. The ark representative of the, the presence of God. Um, in, in the Old Testament, that the presence of God could not be out it, it, amongst the people because they would have just all died. And so we have a compassionate God who says, listen, I want to be as close to you as I can without killing you, right? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for that. And so they're carrying the ark back to Jerusalem, and we find David here going ahead of the ark. And and this is what is going on. This is what he says. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all God's. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord has made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Let the earth resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing. Let them sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is is good. His love endures forever. Amen. David... David became, just came unglued for God. He just let it all go. He, he just, you hear it in his writing here. Read the Psalms of David. Read the things that he says about the Lord. Just the way that he felt about who God was, David was a worshiper. He got the idea behind what worship is. To be in the presence of God, to understand his magnificence to understand his splendor, to understand his grandeur, his awesomeness, and all of the adjectives that we could string together, right, it would just, it just keep, we could keep going because God is amazing. And when we think about that, we can't help but cry out and say, God, you're awesome. And we worship you that even the earth, the very ground that we stand on, the trees that we see, would declare the glory of God. We worship God because he is worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship. Now, I don't know about you, I, don't, I can't write and sing like David did. This, this is awesome, this is awesome. But I do, I am able to sing my own song. And you know, it's just as pleasing to the Lord as what, what David wrote here. Because when we bring our sacrifice of praise, God receives it with a glad heart and that our eyes are fixed and focused on him. I made this statement last week. We will always worship what we value most. I will worship what I value the most. The things that are most valuable in my life will, will be the recipients of my worship, of my, of my focus, of my attention. I will put them in a preeminent place, in an important place in my life, and I will, I will give them uh, the, the things that I think are the best of who I am. What I value will get the best of my affections. What I value will get the best of my body. What I value will get the best of my time. What I value will will get the best of my finances. What I value will get the best of my everything, everything that I am. David mentions here, He mentions the idols, for the gods of the nations are idols. Idolatry, anything that stands in the place of God in our lives isn't an idol. And and so, so in the context here, they actually had idols. But for us, the idols in our lives become those things that take the place of God, that we worship, that we honor, that we ascribe glory to and honor to in our lives apart from God. And so we have to be careful, make sure that God is getting the very best of who I am. So last week I said that I'm not really presenting points that kind of build it on each other, but more the facets looking at a diamond that has different facets. The facets of worship that I want to talk about uh, are all amazing. If You ever look at a diamond? You can look at it all of these different ways and the way that the light catches each of the facets is just it's just beautiful just beautiful, and then you can turn it a little bit more, and and then the light catches it a different way, and it's just beautiful. It's just gorgeous that when we come to worship and an understanding of worship and who God is, that every facet we look at should just have us in awe. It should just bring us to our knees as we glorify God. And so I talked about last week, the first thing was the, the, the facet of valuing the presence of God that we have to value his presence over anything else in our lives. Because if I don't value his presence, I won't worship him. If I don't value who he is, and the splendor and, and the magnificence of who he is, I will not worship him. Talked about the, the healthy tension that needs to exist between the transcendence of God and the imminence of God. And I apologize for kind of racing through this, um, I'm trying to catch us up from last week because I want to get to, to the meat for today. But the, the the tension between the transcendence and the imminence. The transcendence is is this the, the the awesomeness, the bigness, like Kurt was talking about. That we serve a big God who, like, when you try and understand God and your brain starts hurting and you're like i don't i i just can't that that is the transcendence of god it is it is that all knowing all encompassing eternal component of who he is that, that when that we just can't we just can't wrap our heads around it on the imminent, uh, imminent side is is the, the closeness of, of jesus and, and of god the father that he draws near to us it's, it's Mary washing Jesus' feet with her tears and, and wiping his feet with her hair. That the God of the universe would let a, a woman come so close and be so near. It's the disciples reclining with Jesus at the table, chest on, head on chest, the way that those, the, the, like in the Last Supper they would recline and they were almost leaning on each other that you could come that close to who Jesus was. His immanence and His transcendence, and that our worship exists with a healthy tension between the two. See, because if I, if all I do is go I worship the transcendence of God, then He is impersonal and far away, and so my my worship is not is not intimate. And God becomes like some of you will remember this, but like Beth Medler, from a distance, God is watching, right? <laughs> From a distance, God is watching. We stop there. Megan and I got to visit Europe a while, a while back, and we, we got to stand in some of these churches that are a 1,000 years old. And and, and, and this, the, it just, it's gorgeous, it's beautiful, and no doubt the presence of God is there, but there's a sense that God is far away and that our worship is very mechanical. Why? Because we can't understand God. On the other hand, if we lean too far to the other side and we come to the imminent side, and Jesus comes overly familiar, and I forget about the transcendence, I won't walk in the fear of the Lord. Because Jesus is my buddy. I just, I just hang with JC, right? <laughs> and you go, oh my gosh, you're talking about the God of the universe. And he wants us to be close, but he doesn't want us to forget that he's transcendent. And so our worship is, is in between these two. And I say it's a tension and not a balance. Because I think balance is just it's a funky word and we define it all kinds of different ways. It's a tension because we should feel it that when I start getting close to this imminent side, I remember, oh, but he's so transcendent. And I get over here, but he, oh, he's so close and that I'm just in both places. Does that make sense? Or would I just sound really weird right now? I, it helps me to know this about who God is and I hope it helps you too that we can come to the Lord and we can value His presence individually and we can value His presence as the body. The second thing I wanted to share is this, is that we get to embrace the power of His presence. It's not just valuing His presence in my life like, hey, you know, God, I'm glad you're with me, but that His presence brings with it something of power. This is the God who spoke the universe into being. I was, I was reading an article recently that talked about uh, how many planets we've discovered in the last, check this out, in the last three years, we've discovered more planets than in, the, in, in all of the years prior to that combined. In the last three years, we've discovered more planets out in, in the universe than all of the years before that combined. God is awesome. He is awesome, and he is powerful, and he brings that power to bear in our lives. When we value his presence, and we turn our eyes to him, and focus him, and worship him as as we should, that His the power of his presence in our lives brings about change. Listen to this out of Acts chapter 16, a story of Paul and Silas. Acts chapter 16, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Let me, let me back up. We're going to set the stage again. Paul and Silas have been arrested. They're in jail. They're, they're not in a worship service here, right? They're not at a concert. They're, you know, Hillsong isn't in town, and they're like, hey, go right on. No, um, they're in jail, and they've been jailed for their faith. They've been jailed because they believe in Jesus Christ. And so they're sitting in in chains in prison. And this is the context. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them, probably thinking, what is wrong with you guys? But they're listening. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken And at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and he saw the prison doors open and he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell down trembling before before Paul and Silas he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they, they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and, all, and to all the others in, at, at his house. And at, the, uh, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately all his, I'm sorry, immediately and, and, and all of his household were baptized the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. At midnight in jail, Paul and Silas praised and worshipped God and sang hymns to him. In the midst of a circumstance that was impossible, that was difficult, That, that was, they, were, they were wrongly accused, they shouldn't have been there, In a moment where there's pain, where there's anguish, there's wandering, where's God in the midst of this, Paul and Silas worshipped God. They valued the presence of God in their present reality. See, it's easy to value the presence of God on a Sunday morning because we're in this place, right? We have a worship team and, and, and a service where we can come together and we're of like mind. Yeah, I can worship God. God's presence is here. What about in those places in our lives, maybe where you're not sitting in prison, but it feels like you are? That the circumstances and the situations, the things that have been done to you or by you, the things that have been spoken over you, the hurts, the pains, the suffering in your own life can feel like a prison. In that place, what is your response? How do we respond to God? Do we have the same response as Paul and Silas? To worship him even in the suffering. The power of God in his presence when we, when we worship him, when we value his presence, when we welcome his presence, and not that his presence ever goes anywhere. Let's be clear. Jesus secured for us salvation and he, because of, of his work, the, the, the curtain was torn in two. And scripture actually says that it was, Jesus was the curtain that was, was rendered, that was torn so that the presence of God could be among his people. But we understand this, that we see, uh, we see God, but we don't see him in his full glory yet. That one day we will behold him face to face. And so, so, but the awesome thing is that his presence is with us and that because we're saved, the, the power of his presence and his Holy Spirit actually resides in us, right? That we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I, this is a part of this transcendent part of God where you just go, okay, that makes my head hurt. But it's true, Scripture tells us it's true. And so his presence is with us. But in this situation, Paul and Silas start singing, and this is how the power of God is manifest in that moment. The ground begins to, begins to shake and the doors fly open and the chains fall off. That's amazing. That's amazing. I, you know, sometimes I read scripture and I read a story and I go, oh, that's cool. <laughs> no, this is incredible. This is phenomenal. I, I just wish someone would make a movie out of the book of Acts because it would be an action movie shipwrecks and jails and earthquakes oh my goodness because the power of god comes to bear in people's lives and brings about transformation and changes the reality changes their situation and paul and silas and are sitting around with these guys in the jail cell no chains on their arms the doors wide open can you imagine being one of the other prisoners whoa and the jailer is now afraid because if these guys get out He's the one who's going to get the brunt of it, ready to take his own life. And I love the heart of Paul and Silas here. Now don't, don't harm yourself. We're still here. And what is the jailer's response to the presence of God? What do I need to be, do to be saved? There's something happening here, and I need to be a part of that. See, because in Jesus Christ, our spirit comes alive. And that we can have communion with the Father and we can have communion with the Son and we can have communion with the Holy Spirit because our spirit has come to life. But before we come to Jesus, the Bible says that our spirit is dead. And we don't have that. And for people on the outside looking in, there's this wondering, hmm, there's something different about you. Huh. You know, most people would respond this way in that kind of situation, but you didn't. Why? What is it about your life? And it'll cause questions to rise up inside of them that they don't have answers to because their spirit hasn't come to life. This jailer is going, I need what you've got. I need what you've got. And Paul and Silas, the door is open for them not to walk out of jail, but to lead someone to Jesus. Not just him, but his entire household are saved. This morning, in this place, there's no doubt in my mind that there are some of us who are sitting in a jail cell, who are sitting in a prison cell, emotionally, physically, mentally, you feel like you are trapped and there is no way out and that the lie of the enemy would be this, you're stuck and God doesn't care about you. Can I tell you that when you turn that attention away from what the enemy would be saying and turn your eyes to Jesus and start worshiping Him, even when you don't feel like it, even when you don't feel like it, when you understand that God is bigger, like Kurt said, God is big. He's bigger than our situations, He's bigger than our circumstances, He's bigger than prison cells, He's bigger than earthquakes, He's bigger than armies, He's bigger than dictators, He is bigger. He's bigger than abuse. He's bigger than anything that we can fill in that blank. He is bigger. And when we understand that and we give glory to him, he brings breakthrough in our lives. And not just our lives are changed, but his, the lives of those around us can be transformed. But we have to embrace the power of, of, of the presence of God. Why the word embrace? See, because I can mentally be aware of it. Mm, yes, God is a big God. Amen, brother, high five. <laughs> but there's a something of an engagement that happens when I embrace his presence and say, this is for me. This is for my life and my situation. Paul and Silas, when the doors flew open, they didn't just sit there and go, cool. The door's open. They actually had to get up and walk out. I want to pause here for a minute because there was actually a a word that was shared with me before service in this regard. And that the word would be this. That for many, you're sitting in a jail cell and God's saying, I already opened the door. It's time to walk out of the cell. It's time to walk into the freedom that I've secured for you. It's not enough just to recognize, wow, the power of God's opened something, that we have to walk in it. We have to embrace it. We have to own it. I don't know where that meets you today, how that intersects your life and what's going on in your life. But I do know this, that God is faithful and he loves you. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you and he has incredible plans for you and I guarantee you they don't involve a prison cell They involve freedom and life and life to the fullest. If that's ministering to you, I want you to hang on to that. At the end of service, our prayer team will be up here. And and I want to invite you at the end of service, come up and pray with someone. Yes, it means get up out of your seat and actually walk to the front where people might actually see you and go, "Hmm." I I believe that there's people who don't go up and receive prayer because they wonder, well, people might see me and then wonder, well, what's wrong with them? Can we just say we've all got issues? If you've got issues, would you just raise your hand right now? Thank you. See? Look around the room. We've all got issues. Great. we got that out of the way. Some people are like, yes, that's me. <laughs> we got issues. But God is bigger. And this is a safe place. And we're not standing looking down our nose at you going, oh, what's wrong with them? Or this one. Well, it's about time. Right? Not in this place. That has no place in this house. I'll just say, as the pastor of this flock, that has no place here. And if I hear you saying that, we'll have a conversation. God wants to bring breakthrough in your life. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity. God wants to bring deliverance. He wants to bring salvation. And check this out, he wants to bring refreshing. Any of you just ever feel kind of worn out? Just tired? You have a week where like, You get to the end of the week, and you're like, there was nothing huge that happened. I just don't feel like, I just don't feel it. I can't put my finger on it, but I'm tired. God brings refreshing. Acts chapter 3, verse 19 through 20. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. Hallelujah. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed to you even jesus that jesus his presence brings refreshing it is in an he is an oasis in the midst of the desert and he wants to refresh you restore you build you up but we have to embrace the power of his presence with every part of who we are and then finally this morning we have to live a life of worship we have to live a life of worship We have to value the presence of God. We have to embrace the power of his presence and we have to live a life of worship. That that worship isn't just something that I do a couple of times a week. That how I live, amen, how I live needs to be a life of worship. That the awareness of the presence of God should cause every minute of my my day awake and asleep, my coming and my going my busyness and my, my lying down or sitting and resting. That in everything, that my life is a life of worship. See, I worship with who I am. And, and, and singing songs is a part of worship. Worship and praise, singing hymns, we see all throughout Scripture. The Israelites were delivered from the land of Egypt. What's the first thing they do? They praise God with songs. And anyone would say, well, singing and music is not part of the Bible. You're, you're not reading the same Bible I am. There's a lot of music happening in the Bible. And I'm so thankful. But it's not all that worship is. Worship isn't just popping a CD into the CD player and singing a song. Worship isn't just coming to a service on a Sunday. Or going to, to, to a worship conference. Or That's not just... What worship is, I worship with everything that I am. In fact, this is what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, he opens the door for us to be able to approach him, to offer your bodies as what? A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. See, worship in the Old Testament involved bringing animals and slaughtering animals, and and making sacrifice on altars for sin that had to be repeated over and over and over and over and over over again. A lot of barbecues happening in the camp of Israel, right? It was just constant, just constant. But because of Jesus, we no longer have to bring those sacrifices, but, but Paul says here, we are the sacrifice, not to attain salvation, but because there's an offering, there's a, there's a, 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 a scent when the, the, the offering was made, the scent, the smoke would go up to heaven as an aroma pleasing to God. Paul's saying your life needs to be a life of worship, that your life, your very life, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This idea of altars and memorials is important. It's important for us even today, though we don't practice setting up memorial stones or piling rocks on top of each other. In worship, it's an important thing, and I wanna encourage you to do this if you don't already, if you've never thought of this, that there would be points of worship, altars of worship that you can go to in your life to remember what God has done for you. One of the things that's, that's so amazing about music is that it can bring back a memory in a second. I tell you what, I hear a Beach Boy song, man, it's, I'm, I'm 12 years old again. I, I mean, it just takes you right back, right? Music connects with us in a way, it connects with our heart, connects with our soul, it connects with our mind in such a way that music can transport us to a place and a time and a memory that can be so vivid. I think God knows what he's doing. Like he wired us that way. It's not like God's like, oh wow, that really worked out well. That he's built us with that capacity. Why? So that I can establish altars and memorials in my life where God has brought about victory. I know that the stage at Camp Cedar Crest is one of the, those memorials for me because God's done some amazing work in my life. And then I can say, Lord, I'm, gonna, I'm struggling. or I'm, I'm feeling down. Lord, I'm, I remember what you did at that place at that time, and I'll start worshiping God. Right? In my, I don't have to go to Camp Cedar Crest. Right, Because of the brain that God's given me, I, I can be in my mind, I can be kneeling at that altar again going, God, I don't have to fight this battle anymore because that b- battle has been secured in you. You've already won the victory. See, because the enemy is going to hammer us and he's going to beat us up and go, yeah, that's not done. That area of your life isn't finished. That's not over. There's more, there's more, there's more. And Jesus says, no, it is finished It is done. It is over. I've come to give you partial life. No, life to the fullest. But we need to be reminded. And so establishing those places of worship, those altars that we can go back to. Some people like to journal. For some people, it might be a picture on a wall. For some, just whatever that looks like for you. But get in the habit of saying, you know what? This is an important moment in my life where God did something significant and 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 establish something of a, a memorial that you can come back to to remember it's powerful so i worship with who i am i worship with what i do i worship with what i do colossians 3:23 and 24 whatever you do work at it with all your heart as working for the lord not for human masters since what you uh, since You know that what you will receive, that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. It kind of covers everything. That means, I'm going to step on some toes, that means you can't have a bad attitude at work. Uh, and and there's no way to really soften it, right? Because that's what the Bible is saying here. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, which means that how I work and my attitude in my workplace needs to be an offering not to myself or not to my employer, but to the Lord. That is an act of worship. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, working with all your heart or working for the Lord. When I remember that everything that I take part in in my life ultimately is serving Jesus, it will, it will change the way I do things. And it, it could quite possibly stop me from doing certain things, right? That I need to stay where I need to, need to be in the presence of Jesus even when I'm at work, whatever I'm doing. Church, home, work, driving down the freeway, now that's one of the hardest right there that I need to drive is unto the Lord. And that person just cut me off. I, I hate that. Right? I, it's, the one for me is when you're like waiting in line and the lines are merging and, and then there's that person that will cut down the side and then try and, oh, it just gets me. And I drive a, I drive a big car and, and I, I want to I just kind of block both lanes. Right? Just because I can and... God's like, is that unto the Lord? Is that reflective of what my heart would be? Now, I would love to say that I always, my mind goes right there. Thankfully, I have an amazing wife who will remind me and say, really? And I know what she's saying. That's, that's not Christ-like. Thank you, thank you, Lord, for people in our lives that can help us, right? Everything is unto the Lord. Everything, whatever you do, whatever you do. As unto the Lord. Why? Because what I do is an act of worship before God. And it needs to be in line. It needs to be in a place. Where I'm being a good representative of who my God is. So that people, just like Paul and Silas, that people will see Jesus. I worship with what I have. I worship with what I have. Psalm 24, verse 1 The Lord is the the earth is the Lord's and Everything in it, the world and all who live in it, it all belongs to him. That means my possessions, my house, my car, the stuff I've worked for, guess what? It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. It belongs to him. I mentioned earlier about idolatry. We don't set up idols in our lives as far as a a carved image, but we have idols in our lives. They come in the form of cars and houses and possessions. And God wants us to have those things. It's not that those things in and of themselves are not good. But the reality is, is if we put those things ahead of God, if I don't worship God with my finances, if I don't worship God with my possessions, well, then those things become idols. And there's no gray area. Church, I wish I could say, listen, here's, here's kind of the line and you can get close to the line. God's like, no, these things are so far removed because you either worship me with what you have or you don't. When you read about the Israelites coming out of Egypt, he says, listen, I want, I want you to remember that if, if you do these things, if you serve me in these ways, and he lays out all of these rules for them, but so many of them centered around what you do with your stuff, If you honor me, if you tithe, if you give to the Lord, if you honor him and bless him and not withhold from the Lord, he says, I will bless you. And then he says, if you don't, God says, I I, I can't. It's not even that I want to. That when we take our possessions and we make them idols, and and listen, I don't want this to sound like a, hey, you need to be tithing to the church kind of thing, though, though you should, because God commands it. The problem is, is that we start withholding. We think, I can get away with it. And God's like, the only person that you're hurting here is you. Because I have more that I want to bless you with. See, but it's an act of worship. Who do I worship? Do I worship me or do I worship God? I love this statement. Does your stuff own you or do you own your stuff? And that God, all through Scripture, would call people and say, hey, listen, I want you to get rid of everything. Leave your family, leave your land, leave. It wasn't just Abram. There's other people in Scripture. He just said, drop it all. In the book of Acts, people that came to the Lord and said, listen, came to be a part of the church, met Jesus, sold everything they had and brought everything and laid it at the feet of the disciples and the apostles. Why? Because they understood, holy cow, There is bigger things than my stuff, and that God is worthy of my praise. Now I know that there was not everyone did that, it was the ones that the Lord put it on their heart. That they walked in obedience to what God was calling them to. But when we worship God with what we have, our possessions, the things of this world, we in essence we remove the clutches of the enemy on our hearts. And it brings a place of freedom where we can say, God, it belongs to you. If you told me to give it all away, I'd give it away with a joyful heart. When we say God loves a joyful giver, what is he saying? It's someone who doesn't just grin through and go, okay, I'm trying to be joyful here. God told me to give this to you. Please, hold on to it. The joyful heart comes out of this. God is amazing. He is awesome. And he's asked me to do something with my stuff. And because I worship him, I'm going to worship him with my stuff. And blessing comes. These are principles of God's word that are true. They are real. God says, right, God is not mocked. What a man sows, he will reap. That when we walk in obedience to this, I will worship with what I have. Why? Because it belongs to him anyway. It belongs to Him anyway. So I worship with who I am. I worship with what I do. And I worship with what I have. So the question this morning then is, how do we respond? Because there's no doubt in my mind that this is pushing some buttons today and stepping on some toes. And I love that. I love that it's not, even, it's not that because of, of me, because of the Word of God. The Bible says that His Word will convict us it will challenge us, it'll 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 bring us into alignment, it'll point out the things in our lives that aren't lined up. So how do we respond? How do we respond to a message like this, to a word like this from the Lord? What do those next steps look like? Well, here's the thing it's gonna look different for every one of us. See, because we're not the same, but God knows exactly where you are, and He knows the next steps for you. I don't think I've ever met a person in my life who would say, you know what? I, I'm, I worship enough, I'm good. See, because the heart of a worshiper is, I want to worship more. And the more you worship, the more you want to worship, the more you want to worship. And it just, there's an insatiable appetite for worship. And so we can all press deeper, we can all push in more and say, God, I want to know you more. Draw me a little closer. Take me a little deeper. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. God, I want to know you more. I want, to know, I want to know you in my relationships. I want to know you in my work. I want to know you in my possessions. I want to know you in my finances. Jesus, I just want to know you. So that step for you. We're going to, go to, go, we're going to close in worship, and then our prayer team will come up in a minute. But as, as in fact, the band can come up, or Celine, um, as we worship, would you... With the Lord this morning, would you do some business? If you're in a place where you're like, oh, thank you, Lord, I'm, I'm doing well. Just take me deeper. Praise God. If this is a word that's convicting you this morning, don't ignore it. Don't, allow, don't, don't let God open the jail cell and then stay sitting in the jail cell. Get on your feet and move out and say, Lord, I want to walk in obedience in this believe for breakthrough in that. Maybe it has to do with your relationships. Maybe it's in the area of your finances. It does, whatever it is. But determine, decide this morning. Lord, I'm not going to just move from this place and go, oh, there was a nice message. Determine in your heart what that next step is. Maybe this is the place of that altar for you today. Allow God to minister to you. So, would you guys lead us Um, As they do, I'm going to pray.